Hello, you're listening to the Hammersley Brothers e-commerce podcast. If some of our discussions and tips are working for you, why don't you grab a 15-minute call with us at ecommercecall.com. We'll see whether we can help scale your e-commerce business. We will quickly see if we're a fit or whether we can recommend someone else to get you where you need to go. The worst case is you'll have a fun 15-minute chat and regardless, you'll come away understanding a lot more about your business. Book a call at ecommercecall.com. Hello and welcome to the Hammersley Brothers e-commerce podcast. This week, In and I are diving into the top 10 traits we found in successful e-commerce founders. So let's get started. Hello, Ian. How are you? Good morning, Mark. I'm okay. I'm all right. Awesome. How are you doing? I'm all right. Yeah, I'm pretty good. Um, we're moving to level three in Auckland, which means... We can get takeaways. Pretty much that's it. I can stay in my house. I can't leave the house, but I can get takeaways, which um, not really going to make much difference to my life, but I will have takeaways. Do you get e-commerce deliveries now? Are they, are they allowed? I think, I think tomorrow we can start doing stuff because a lot of the orders that I had ordered, which have been delayed, now can be delivered. So I'm about to have a lot. I bought myself a robot vacuum this morning. Um, Did you? Just as a treat, just for the office. Um, because obviously Kath wouldn't let me have one in the house. But um, just for my own office, I've now got a robot vacuum, which is going to come, which is exciting. I'm just seeing how, <laughs> much, how many gadgets I can fit in my small office, um, just to compensate for the fact that um, I'm not allowed so many in the house. Anyway, I digress. What we're going to cover today on the podcast is the 10 must-have traits for e-commerce founders. Um, and I've kind of noted down 10 points that I want to go through. And Ian hasn't heard these yet. So I thought it'd be quite good to kind of talk about them and getting Ian's fresh input on because, you know, probably, I mean, I obviously talk to e-commerce founders every day, but Ian's been talking to them for, you know, 15 years at a very high level. And, and I think you've probably got quite a good grasp on, you know, what makes someone successful, you know, that how big they well, can get. And it's interesting here because what you, we were just discussing the podcast topic, and you said, "Right, I want to do one on on the you know, the traits of successful e-commerce founders." You know, what 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 is the personality type? And obviously, on the face of it, I was thinking, well, it doesn't make any difference. That's ridiculous. You know, the the the, the personality trait of an e-commerce founder can't possibly influence the success of the business. But of course, that's wrong. Of course, it mm. does. Um, but the reason why I initially said, "Well, that's." That seemed crazy because e-commerce is about understanding the maths. It's about understanding how to scale it, knowing what KPIs to look at and knowing how to scale it. But I think there probably are patterns of things that, that the e-commerce founders have been doing that have led to ones being scaling or, mm. or, the, or, or probably the opposite, things that they haven't done. So the, the yeah. first thing I've written down is that they tend to be good at the bigger picture. So less focused on the tiny things, otherwise they would never launch anything. So a couple of the, the, the bigger guys, I, you know, they would just they'd get things out the door and then they refi- they'd refine them as, as they, as they realized they were in the right area. The, yeah. the ones that, 
um, we've worked with who've struggled are the ones that wanted to get everything absolutely perfect, even down to the positioning of the logo on the page and what font they were using and just like every single thing for launch meant that by the time they launched, they're exhausted. And so... Well, also, do you know what the... Do you know why... What happens is they waste so much time and they they obsess over things that they think are important that but actually don't move the needle. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest, biggest thing that I see in e-commerce is that people have this big roadmap, massive to-do list, and they you know everything on that to-do list is probably absolutely bang on. But the order to do it in is the challenge. And I think that's often what you and I go into a business and look at it and straight away see the order of things they're doing is wrong. They need mm. to move things in there to do this high. They need to prioritize that, that, and that. That's a waste of time. That's a waste of time. That do in two years' time. Do this now. Mm. And that's the biggest thing. And I think there's no, there's no, there's no, there's nothing wrong with being detail focused because we have to be detail focused but you have to know what things to focus on and i think that's the difficulty is knowing which bits to focus on because they might well think that focusing on on the font size or the logo is the, is the right thing to focus on but it but there are other things like the fact that their pricing's off or their delivery threshold is wrong mm. or their their you know their returns policy is hidden within the terms and conditions it's those things it's the fundamental value proposition that yeah changes I, I, things. I think i think that saying they're not interested in the tiny things across the board is wrong but what they are not focused on the tiny things unless they've been proven to them that the customer cares deeply about those tiny things yeah so that they, they kind of put things out which is kind of like a minimum viable product an mvp and then they then work out which bits are the bits that they need to focus on, and then that becomes their focus so that they can get things out, they can get things done, and then they go and focus on the areas where it matters. And that has been, you know, if we, you know, talking about one of the guys, you know, the, the main guy we've been working with for 15 years, um, he's very much like that. Like he, he, he puts yeah. things out, he tries things, and then he, um, you know, he, he hones in on it. And he becomes a master at, that, at those 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 things, and that's where he focuses energy. So, you know, we, we've seen that over and over. Um, the number second one I put down is, you know, they understand the numbers and the fundamentals, not hard maths, but willing to focus on some simple numbers. So, like, I think the the e-commerce founders that fail are the ones that kind of refuse to think about any numbers at all, and. We're not talking about difficult maths. We're not talking about PhD maths or mechanical engineering or something like that. We're talking about quite simple things, which is like how much money in, how much money out, and where does it need to be to scale the business? You know, it, it, it's, they, they have a, a fundamental grasp over those things. Even if maths was something they hated at school, they understand those pure numbers and they're, they're willing to embrace them. Um, because... Yeah, yeah, it, well, it, it tells it, a story because if you don't, hmm. if you don't look at the the, the numbers and the you know, the main KPIs, you become emotionally driven, and you then you then make up things that you think you should work on on yeah. the site, and you end up working all over the site in the wrong area. And yeah. if you actually look at the maths, 
and you say, right, our ads basket stat is 3% and our mm. checkout to order stat is 95%. You then know that you're not going to gain anything by messing around with the checkout mm. because it's 95%. You're not going to get any higher than that. The problem that you have in this, or well, the opportunity that the numbers are telling me is that the add to basket stat is low. That's where we've got to go into it. Yeah, but it's it's, it's just not just kind of understanding, you know, fundamentally how much a customer costs to acquire and how much a customer's worth to you yeah. over a long time. And even if well, you, you say, right. yeah. you know, I'm an, I'm an artist and I'm I don't do numbers. It's like, well, you're in a constraint. The, the constraint is in e-commerce that you are you're in the box where you need to understand how much a customer costs you and how much it's going to do. And even I'd say creativity is more creative once you know the boundaries that you're with you're working within if you don't have any boundaries your, your creativity gets diluted so you actually understand even if you're the most creative person in e-commerce but you if you know the boundaries and you know the fundamentals you actually can become more creative within well, it so you know what i think i think it's you're right actually what the example i gave before was a little bit further down the funnel but the fundamental thing is is how much does it cost us to acquire a customer and what's the, what's the value of that customer over a lifetime? And, and essentially, is you have to work out your return on ad spend. Mm. But you, so essentially, the, 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 I think the businesses that start to scale are the ones that really understand the fact that I can spend £5 to recruit a customer. You know, or, you know, for every pound that I spend, I need £8 back. Yeah. And everything that they do in the e-commerce business, if it's if it's focusing on creative, if it's focusing on the email series, if it's focusing on average order value or margin, or yeah. better buying or better better logistics, everything is to influence that metric. Yeah. Well, if I think about it as a car, right? Is as a um, your e-commerce business as as a as a as a money printing engine, right? If you're sitting in a car and you push the accelerator down and you go backwards you know something's wrong. If you push the accelerator down and you stay in the same place, you know if something's going wrong. If you push the accelerator down and you move forward, it's right, isn't it? So think about the accelerator as the money you put in and the car's movement is the profit, isn't it? So if you're pushing the accelerator down and you're going backwards, you can't do that for very long because you're going to run out, you know, you're not going to get anywhere. So you, you need a you need I a was machine. hoping this, you know, your little, you know, Analogy and metaphor there would be something great because sometimes you come up with great. I think it's genius. Metaphors. Genius. And it's but not. It's, it's not. Yeah. But you need to work on that one. Yeah, it is because then I, I suddenly thought you could turn the car around and reverse, and you still. Be, but then yeah. no, it doesn't work. But you know, like if you've got those fundamentals, how much money do I put into this business? How much money do I get out? Is it increasing? Um, is it something that's going to grow? Is the lifetime value going to give me uh, money? Is it okay yeah. to lose money in the first year because I'm building assets that are going to go and buy more and more? Or, you know, it, it, what is the fundamental machine? You, you want it? And, and yeah. the you founders understand be, that. Yeah. They do. And you want to be able to have an e-commerce business that you can continually invest in your advertising and it, you can, it, it, it's profitable. You know, it can take advertising budget, and you, as you increase it, you, you're, st- you're able to recruit customers profitably because the, the metrics of the business work. And when yeah. you can't recruit customers profitably, 
then you then have to go and delve into add to basket and basket to order and check out to order etc etc yeah you need to be building a snowball don't you a snowball needs to turn into a bigger a bigger ball so you can kind of grow and if, if you're rolling the snowball and nothing's happening and it's getting smaller then you're not you're not leading to anything so number three i, I think that they need to have a passion for what they're selling and i think it's easier to get through the no man's land um, you know, when you're starting up, when you're smaller, where you can you can do a bit of everything. You can man the phones, you can do the support, you can run the communities. If you have a passion for what you're doing, if you don't have a passion and you're just you know have, uh, you know running something because you've seen someone else do it and they're making some decent money out of it, then it's going to be difficult to get over that no man's land. And the no man's land is really the time when you haven't got enough money or enough revenue to build the team around you that does do, does the stuff that you're not particularly good at. So it, it's much easier to have a passion. And, and I think that if you look at all the founders who, you know, do, are running, you know, that we work with that maybe run probably 10 million plus businesses, they all know, they all, they all have an interest in it, don't they? They definitely yeah. are. There's not one of them that kind of goes, you know, I'm selling, you know, water bottles and I'm, I hate water bottles. It's, 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 it's what they're interested in, you know, a lot of the time. Um, uh, yeah, I think I'd say that they they were all they were all on it. Yeah, if if that's a phrase. Yeah, working with them for so long. I mean, I I remember, you know, you know I would have daily conversations, you know, three times a day. Yeah, <laughs> and we would be talking about and and because I was passionate about it and they were passionate about it, you could just see that they were they were on it. And I think this leads to number yeah. four, which is has a deep deep insight into the customer. And yes. they understand the language that they, they use, their pet peeves and what annoys them. Because if they understand the customer and what the customer wants, they can see whether they've got it on their website and their experience. Now, they don't have to be technical and they don't have to think, but it, they have to know what it looks like when it's right. And that's the key trait. You know, you could be as technical as hell and be really good at Shopify or Magento and putting sites together. But if you don't understand the customer when they're buying this particular item, you're going to be a lot worse off than than somebody who's not technical who actually understands the customer. Because the person who understands the customer in that market can say to the person's building the site, that is right. That is what we want. And that's the experience we want. Whereas if they don't actually, have that, that's hard. I've seen, I have seen this and I think I've got a really good example of a business that's selling. They were selling, um, I won't say exactly what it was, but they're based near Manchester and they were selling a fashion accessory that you put on your head. <laughs> and they, the, the founder did one thing. And I think openly said she only knew one thing, which was she understood the customer, you know, inside mm. out. And that meant she, she understood the job to be done, which was not to buy a, you know, hair accessory, but to actually, you know, why you were buying hair, because you wanted to look great on a night out. And she understood the anxieties people went through when you buy the hair accessory, um, what you were worried about, what would stop people buying. And, and so she, and that's what she knew. And she didn't really know anything about conversion rates or, um, or how to increase average order value. But she knew that customer inside, knew what they wanted. 
And so she positioned the brand in order to, to grow into that space. And she's done incredibly well. Yeah. Because the one thing she knew was how to get the job to be done. Yeah. And that, that, and that, was that, that, that deep insight will get you, get you far. So, you yeah. know, and it's very easy to kind of say, oh, so you see so-and-so selling those kind of things. Well, maybe we'll try. And it's like, well, yeah, we could probably copy you know it now, what? but we yeah. wouldn't be able to do it long term. And the other thing was that she originally, um, they were selling a product that was a generic product that was but the branding and and the and the and the present presentation and, the, and brand positioning of it was so good that they were selling it for twice the price that everyone else was selling it at mm. um it was the same product that the competitors competitors were selling it at um but everybody the reviews that they got would say things like oh, i always buy my product from this company the quality is so much better than everybody else's it was the same. It was the mm. same. Same product. But she, she, she positioned it very well. She, she rebranded it. Very it. Well. She put it in an, her own packaging, yeah. and it had become something else. Because, and she she but what she'd also done is she didn't sell the products that ever you know the other people that sold the products they might have you know twenty five or different ones. She'd actually picked the ones that she knew worked yeah. for her audience. Specialized. She didn't sell the other ones. She specialized in the ones that she knew worked, and that yeah. was. You know, because she knew understood the, the customer. She said, well, you know, they don't want that. They don't want num SKU number five. They don't want SKU number seven. They actually want number six and number four because that's what we do when we go on a night out and we want to look like that. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so that number five is good at finding and nurturing talent. Even freelancers, um, they need to be looked after. And I think I was going to tell a story about this, like when we got started, Ian, when oh, we did were. you say that again? I was so this. You were just zoning out. The last point, then. No, yeah, I was thinking so, about the last point, but yeah, go on. Yeah, so they, they're good at good at finding and nurturing talent, even if that talent's not necessarily someone going to be coming onto their team and work full time. It, it could be a freelancer. It could be any any anybody that they look after. And I think what I was going to talk about there was when we started out in our twenties. You know, you were very good at going and getting business in and doing sales, and I was very good at finding freelancers to work with us who could do the, who could do the work because um i mean you know one of the first sites we did big sites we did was actually i think the first client we, we pretty much landed was one of the big world's biggest brake manufacturers which was huge and i had to go and find a freelancer to do that and effectively you know he could work with anybody but i was able to develop a relationship with him make him enjoy working with us and um, you know, want to have a long-term partnership with me. And that was a skill that I've used. I mean, I use it all the time for finding good people and making sure that they want to work with me and want to give me a decent service and they want to be loyal to me because of I'm, I'm interesting and I'm fun to work with. And I think that when you are running an e-commerce business, even having a virtual team that you use you're being able to build up a rapport with them so that they actually help you more than they necessarily would if it was just a transaction is very is very key because there's going to be times when you're starting a business and in any any size of business but where you you have to kind of bring in outside help before you can kind of bring your own inside team whether whether you ever will bring an inside team in but having that skill to be able to nurture 
good talent wherever they are, agencies or freelancers or even full-time staff is, is key because uh, there are some people that some people just don't want to work with because they just don't know how to, you know, have that relationship. Yeah. And, and when you find a good freelancer, they can work with anybody because they're really good. I think good. that's the key. That's the same with an agency that, that I think often the mistake is thinking that your e-commerce business is the prize. Mm. Yeah, you're not the prize um, because, like you say, the freelancers or agencies or contractors who do, you know, you look at your paid ads or you build your sites, or they can work with anybody. Yeah, they can work with anybody, and you, you can't. You, know, you you've got to work. You you know you you've got to work with the people that, and you get the most out of people, don't you? If you actually look after them. Yeah, you're not the prize. You know, you you, know, you can't sit back and fold your arms and say, say go pitch. No, you know, because a good agency and a good freelancer, they, they won't pitch. They, they, they don't won't. turn up. They won't. Like, we, like, we don't ever pitch. We never pitch now. We never do RFPs. We never turn no. up to things like that. We never, um, you know, it's the other way around. When you get good at something, you will be the rarity in the market. And therefore, you will get to choose the business you are. Because agencies, by their very nature, they're selling time and they only have a limited amount of time. So they have to be very careful who they, they use that with. So when you find someone good, you need to nurture them and make sure that they, you know, that, that, that you know, they, they want to work with you long term. Because, like, it can make a massive difference between your success if you can get those, those good ideas coming in all the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I always have like a virtual team. I mean, I know we've got, you know, 30 staff in the UK, 20 staff and uh, abroad. And, and but it's still on top of that. I've probably got another, I don't know, 10 people that I've got on a virtual team that do different things for me for different times and stuff like that. And I feel like I've got a good relationship with all those people. And, you know, they would all fit me in if I if I if I needed them to do something for me. Um, number six is they invest in themselves and their own learning first, and then they outsource. So whatever they need to do, if, it, if it's going to be a key part of their business, they would really understand that thing before outsourcing it. So um, like I know I'm working with quite a few people in, in Australia, and one of the guys on there, he, he knows that Google AdWords is going to be a big driver for his revenue long term. And he knows he wants an agency to do it at some point, but he wants to understand it enough so that he knows what's going on and he can understand and help them within the account. And also keep, if he gets a bad agency, he knows when they're, where they're bad. So I think that they understand the key drivers of their business and they want to understand that part of it in detail. So like the, the, the lady you were talking to, talking about before, key part of her business is Facebook ads. So she understands Facebook ads, and that's one thing she does. She doesn't understand Google AdWords because it's not a key driver of her business. But Facebook ads is, and also so is the so is the creative yeah. on 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 the on the page. You know, whereas the flip side is the you know the the the, the guy we've worked with for fifteen years who's you know doing you know probably fifty million now. Uh, he knows that Google Ads is now a big part of his business, and so he understands it enough to be comfortable knowing whether it's being done as a good job. So they, they invest in themselves first. They go on to, you know, mentoring programs and coach and coaching programs and, and find the right thing and make sure that they understand what the key, uh, the key things are that they're going to yeah. have to manage. 
um, because it's so hard to outsource something that you don't understand yourself, at least to a certain degree, to a certain degree. I'm not saying go and become, you know, the great AdWords or become a developer or anything like that, but at least understand the key friction and the key limitations and the benchmarks that are the main things in that part of it, if that's going to be part of driving driving I think your business. It, I think if, at the very least, it allows you to manage your agencies better, mm. and 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 not and not to go and you know quiz them on things that you don't think they're doing very well, but you know that's part of it. Mm. You know, actually, understanding the fundamental. Let's say it's an AdWords agency. Mm. You know, to actually go in and, and and actually ask them the right questions. Yeah, and understand what their reports mean. You know, mm. Understand, you know, what's the most important metric? Because then you can, you can actually understand what they're doing, and you can help them. Then, mm. you know, you can help them, can't you? And so, it makes sense. I mean, I, I have a couple of examples. You know, AdWords is probably the biggest example that I can think of that's happened continually. That the that, that the keen owners, the keen e-commerce team, would say to me, "Look, we're spending," you know. In some cases, fifty, a hundred thousand pounds a month on AdWords and Google, and we don't. It's like a black box. We don't understand it at all. We've no idea. I want to understand this because it's now by far the biggest budget for the whole business in terms of it's our main advertising spend, mm. and I want to know, I want to know what it is. <laughs> How does it work? Yeah, and yeah. Um, because then they then they can understand it. They can get into it. They can help. Yeah, and also it's that if they're you know if if you put all your eggs in one basket, you've got to protect that basket. You know, and I think that that that's you know, people say don't put your eggs in in your basket, but like Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett would say, put all your eggs in the basket, but then really look after the basket. And and I think that that is a good you know you can you you if you do that well and you know the basket's safe, then you're okay. I totally agree. Why would you not put stuff in the basket if you know it's converting? Mm. Just because you, you know you can't be reliant upon it, you know. But I, yeah. yeah, look after that. It's true. And and I think number seven is apt. Is basically always take the final responsibility because I think the the weaker e-commerce owners we've seen are they some of them think they're geniuses and they and they essentially uh, agency hop and they hop from one agency to the other thinking that. It's the agency's fault. It's their it's their staff's fault. It's their freelancers' fault. Nobody is there, and and it, it actually, it's actually them who doesn't understand fundamentally doesn't understand the business. And and the worst, so it's a very very easy way to go bankrupt very quickly. And, and we've seen we've seen a lot of people who have basically there was I mean, there was one guy who was running a national store across the UK with stores all across the UK and he was going into agencies and he was asking questions and he was getting the wrong answers because they were telling him that that he was basically saying oh it can't be about price it must be about something else and he was selling the commoditized product and they were you know the good agencies were saying to him no it, it is about price in your case it's about price and you need to understand that and it, it was not the answer he wanted to here and so he kept swapping around agencies and internal staff until he got people that told him the answer they wanted to hear two years later he was bankrupt and that is the, that's annoying when you're not getting the answers you want to hear but you have to own the problem 
you have to own the problem yourself and you have to be very careful that you don't just employ yeah. people or employ agencies that are going to tell you what you want to hear. Like there are agencies, the thing about agencies, anybody can set up an agency and there's no barrier to entry. And there will be people who will take on your account, your AdWords account or your Facebook account, no matter how crap your business is, they will take it on and they will tell you that you're going to do well. Now, you know, obviously some of them have... <laughs> are being naughty because of that. But the majority of agencies who do that, they don't know. They haven't got the experience. All they know is how to move things around an AdWords uh, a, um, a GUI and a, and a Facebook GUI. But they don't know whether your business is going to be successful because they haven't got the experience. But they're quite happy to have a go at it with your money. So you've just got to be careful that you're not moving, moving from agency hopping or staff hopping because they're telling you something you don't want to hear. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I think no I, one, I think no one's done well with that. I think AdWords That's is true. probably a really is a really good example of that, isn't it? That often, you know, if it's not working, you've got to really understand the that, that the metrics and the numbers of the business. Yeah. First and for, yeah. first and foremost, yeah. yeah. And you can't, I mean, obviously, you know, if fire the agency if the agency's rubbish. If you've got you know proof that the agency's rubbish, and I'm not saying stay out, stay with people who are bad. But I'm mm. I'm saying that be be careful that you're not um, looking after the new shiny thing, the new shiny agency. Now, a, a typical thing, a typical thing that that's really really um, that that this kind of tells you whether a client is like this, is or an e-commerce owner is like this, is when they go and pick agencies based on the awards they've won. And this is this is interesting because. Once you know you win an agency, you know that awards are pretty much bought. Like if we wanted to, we could go and buy awards in Manchester and we could go and buy them all over in London. They're, they're effectively, a lot of them, even though they're not not certain, I mean, they'll probably get told off for saying this, but a lot of them are paid to play. And the, the awards are ways for people to, to, um, to make money. And this is why we don't enter awards, because it's complete farce. But like if, you, if you're choosing your agency based on the awards they've won, just be aware that those awards are bought and it's who knows that the judges and you can find that some of the winners are on the judge. It's just, it's, I mean, it's not regulated, so it's just a lot of rubbish, but though agency hop due to award winning agencies, you've been warned. Yeah. From an insider's point of view. Controversial. Um, controversial. Apart from the awards we've won, obviously. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the words we've won have actually tended to be uh, voted by by uh, our clients. Well, one of quite them cool. was. Yeah. One, one of them, them was. was. But the others, they basically yeah. said, yeah. Um, if you enter this, well, if you, you, if you enter this award, well, if you buy a table with, with 20 people on it, we'll, we'll, we'll you've got a very you good chance of winning the award. Yeah. Anyway, that's, uh, they're not, there's obviously some very good legitimate awards ceremonies yeah. and some on, very bad ones and some ones yeah. not so good and yeah, yeah so but just be honest, aware we don't we don't we don't enter them anymore because we why what do we need them for it's just a waste of time isn't it you know yeah, once I, you've got, I think we're i think we're basically saying that you can't sit back with your arms folded and tell your agency to go hmm. just, just do it go you, you you have to you have to understand what what that means yeah, and you have to yeah, get them to know the. You have to get to know the key people working for you and understand their limitations, and have the relationship where they can tell you that something's wrong, 
and then not to feel like they're going to, you know, you don't want to surround yourself by yes, by yes men. You want to be people who who bring you the problems and knowing you're not going to kill them. And then you kind of work through them together and say, well, I can help with that. I tell you what. Yeah, that's what I was meant to say is that you have to create an agency and supplier relationship where the agency is comfortable to tell you when things are failing. And I, mm. I know, I know that, and that, and that's that takes a bit of maturity from the agency too. That the agency's then got to go, hang on a minute, right? Your photography's crap. Mm. Your value proposition's crap. Your descriptions are, are, are naff. You're mm. you're not competitive. Your your delivery is too expensive. Um, you know, there's, your offer architecture is poor. It's just not good enough. And mm. you've got to be able, you've got to encourage the agency to tell you that. Yeah, you're going to make it okay. Tell so num- me when I am not good enough. Yeah, keep telling me. Yeah, number eight, they're interested in the game rather than the money. If it's just money, then the game will kill you. So, the biggest successful e commerce owners we know um, are not interested in the money. Money is almost like the scorecard, and they're very interested in the puzzle of how to grow the business. They're interested in growing the business, how to motivate the customers to buy more, and how to build it. They're, they're interested in it as, as a game, as a puzzle, but they're not really interested in, in the money. Because the thing is, if it's money, you'll get to a certain point and you won't need any more money and you'll be like, what am I doing? You know, you have to be interested in the game to keep going. Um, because, you know, like you, a lot of them are doing, you know, 100 million, 100 million. They've got to be interested in it at that level. They want to, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's got to be interesting. It's got to be puzzling for them. They've got to be interested in, you know, new technologies and new ways of, of doing things. And, you know, I think particularly you and me, Ian, is that, well, I, I, I'm speaking for myself, is that I just love things that cause big increases in revenue regardless of whether it's on my sites or or someone else i just find that fascinating and i'm very interested in that game in that puzzle and that's what motivates me to keep going and that's why i probably won't, won't ever retire you know because it just it's just what i'm what i would do normally as a hobby it's just you know i think and i think we've got yeah. that from when we were sitting around the table when we were younger it was what mum and dad did and they were always pushing for you know, bakery increases in sales and they were saying, oh, we sold this many pork pies and this many <laughs> Easter eggs and all that kind of stuff. And that was what, what we grew up on. So you've got to be interested in the game. Well, it's the game, the, the process money. of it is, yeah. Yeah, the money is just a byproduct. But it, yeah. it's, yeah, it's obviously a metric of that we that we use to see if we can scale it. Mm. Number nine, um, You've got to be a good generalist, not a specialist. And this is specifically going to help you when, you know, maybe you're doing between about 500K to a million uh, or even lower than that. You're going to be spinning a lot of plates and you've got to be, you know, you've got to be fairly decent in quite a lot of things rather than just being good at one thing. Like, you know, like if you're only good at writing copy, product copy, but rubbish at understanding if it's a good photo or customer support or anything like that you 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 know you've got a you've got at the beginning you've got to wear many hats and even you know as we've alluded to before like even when you're bigger you still need to put those hats on to understand whether those parts of the business are doing a good job so it's you know 
you know, that, that saying is like um, master of all trades, but master of none or something like that. It doesn't really apply to e-commerce managers because they need to be, they need to be a generalist across e-commerce um, because they have, mm. to, they have to spin many plates at once. I know what what's doing. Would you say? Would you agree? Well, I would say. I would say. I think. I think yes, definitely. Um, because obviously you can't. You you have. There's so much to e-commerce. There's so many different nuances to it that you have to have an un, an overall understanding of each of each area. But I think the other thing that I see is. Do you know what? And I think this is very difficult to counter. And I think the good thing is people listening to this podcast and reading the book and doing courses with us, probably this is the ultimate thing that we're trying to help. But we, I've seen, or we've both seen businesses where e-commerce managers have come in from big brands. And let's say, let's say someone's e-commerce, you know, they're an e-commerce manager and they have, you know, in their career, of, let's say it's 20 years or 20, you know, 20, 30 years so far, they might have worked in three e-commerce businesses, you know, something like that, five years mm. in each one. And that is so dangerous because you think I've got 15 years experience, but I've only worked in three different e-commerce businesses. Mm. And they then believe that that's going to give them the knowledge to go and do it into another business and apply the same things that they did for that business in the in the previous three. When it, that, and we've seen that happen. And this is this is probably I don't know. This is controversial, but it's a conversation that you and I have had quite often over the years, where we've we've worked with a with a, an e-commerce business. And, and and the owner will say, right, we've got a new e-commerce manager coming in. They, and they come from, you know, X, Jules or Bowden or mm. one of these other one of these other businesses that's, you know, big brow. Wow, they're definitely going to know what to do here. You know, and this business is maybe a two million pound business and they've come from a 50 million pound mm. business. And they come and apply the same things they were doing for the 50 million pound business and the two million pound business. And you and I would look at each other and just go, Jesus, hang on. You know what? They're going to do what? Um, it's particularly hard when someone comes from a bigger brand to go and work on a smaller brand. Yeah. And if they've only ever worked in the bigger brand, they don't realize how much they've been surfing on the brand name to that stage. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a customer we're working with at the moment. They're doing about 10 billion, 10 billion with a B, a huge, absolutely huge but they've got this small startup, which is inside the company. It's only doing, you know, half a million, half a million pounds or so. Not half a million pounds. Yeah. Half a, yeah. Yeah. About, about right. 500,000. Yeah. About 500,000. Yeah. It's small. And so they're trying to market it and they're, trying, they're using marketing speak from this huge $10 billion company. And they're completely, you know, out of the depth because they've never had to work on something from the ground up without a brand. And it's very, very difficult. It's very difficult if you've not been that scrappy marketer from the beginning. Um, and so just be very wary if you're taking someone from a big success that hasn't necessarily been at the company when they were your size and then bringing them onto your smaller company because it, 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 you, you've, you have so many blind spots when you come from a bigger company to work at a smaller company that you don't even realize. I mean, look at me when I left IBM. I left IBM to start an e-commerce company back when I was 27, no, 25, I think. 
um, ages ago. And I just got no idea. I was just totally useless because I just thought yeah. I could just ring people up and say, hi, it's, it's Mark Hammersley. You know, I used to ring people up from IBM and go, oh, it's Mark Hammersley from IBM. And people would talk to me because I was from IBM. As soon as I rang up, it was Mark Hammersley from blah, blah, blah. They were like, yeah, whatever. See you later. Not interested. And it's just and you don't realize how much you're riding on a brand. No. It's so I think I think the the challenge that the e-commerce owners face is is in that scenario, you know, you 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 don't know necessarily what KPIs to look at because there's so much data in Google Analytics. You don't know which mm. ones is important. But when you do know the ones that are important, you don't know what's a good and bad stat. So is it you know is is a bounce rate of forty percent overall good or bad? You know you don't necessarily know. And then but when you do then identify something that's low um you don't know how to change it mm. because so you, you you're blind like there's three things there that are fundamental to e-commerce you don't know what stats you should be looking at you don't yeah. know what the stats sh- should be when you do know which ones to look at and then you don't know what to do if you find a stat that's low like, yeah. un- unless you know those three things but it's like rude. all these big all these big e-commerce sites they have a golden goose and they, they and and they brought in once the golden goose already exists, and they're dancing around the golden goose. And obviously, they can make the golden goose bigger and blah blah blah. But they go to another company that's not got a golden goose. They're like, well, hey, I'll dance around this goose. Anyway, I'm getting yeah. probably another I'm an- analogy. Say. It's not going to work. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, they'll say, oh, well, they'll bring reporting. This is, you know, they'll do they'll bring structure and reporting, and this is yeah. how we analyze the numbers. You know, and, and I you know provide a trading report here. And those things are obviously really. Really useful, but unless they actually know what to do with the numbers, and I think the other thing as well is that the big e-commerce brand, the the, the managers who've worked in these big brands doing 50, 60, 70 million, they're surrounded by lots of agencies, lots of people that were doing the work. Mm. They don't actually actually know Mm. as much. Anyway, I think that's number 10, the final one. And this is basically isn't afraid to go big when the numbers line up, not too worried to accelerate. Effectively, once you have that golden goose and you have the, that metric that you can basically push your accelerator down and you and you were going, the worst thing we've seen is people sitting on massive opportunities and sitting in the way of it. And they'll go, mm, well, I, I just feel comfortable spending 5K a month on on Google Ads. That's kind of what I feel my business is at. And it's like, well, no, that business will probably take 100,000 a month and those metrics will stay the same. And, you know, if that's the case, you you probably, you know, like get out of your own way. I mean, I'm not saying not everybody wants to do 100 million and that kind of stuff. But, you know, if you're sitting on an opportunity like that and something will do, do a 100 million, you just got to realize that that's a once in a lifetime opportunity. A lot of the time, if you find the stars aligning, you've found a niche and you found a market that will take it, and you've got a, you've got an edge, you've got a you've got a moat that that will keep you or extend to a runway to kind of to kind of go with it. It's like you've just got to take it. You've just got to take that opportunity and run with it as hard as you yeah. can. That's what I feel because that's the game I'm in. I do, and I, I know. Yeah. And I, I've, I've seen I've seen brands. We were chatting the other day with a, a, a kids' clothing brand. Mm. And there's one that's massive, that's doing, I think, 60 million and got now got stores in different places, started online. And there's and the, and the other one is not, is probably doing about a million, million and a half. 
Yeah. And, you know, it's like, well, what was different? And I and I said, well, I think the difference was that, that 15 years ago, that brand that's now doing 60, 70 million just invested because they understood return on ad spend. They, un- they, they just mm-hmm. went for it. They went for it. There was nothing, there was only, it wasn't anything different. But look at ASOS and, and Boohoo. I mean, they, they found themselves in a position when organic traffic was free, Instagram yeah. traffic was free, we're getting organic, and they just put the accelerator down on it as hard as they could and grew so fast during that stage and then became these huge, huge customers. And obviously now they're struggling a bit more to grow in the same way because the organic's not free. But they, they, would, they just found the stars aligned for them and the same thing with like Made.com, they found themselves at, yeah. at stars aligned for them as well. They found, uh, you know, that they, they the, the director market, um, the director factory thing was was a message ten years ago that that was was massive, and they just they just rode it. And if you find that you're in that situation, the bigger commerce, you know, founders that we've we've done, they've they've either done it themselves or they got out their own way. You know, they they've kind of realized, well, I'm not good enough on this AdWords account. I'm going to go and find someone who's really good at it and just going to scale it, and they're just going to go and do it for me. And I'm going to concentrate on the other stuff because they are so much more comfortable at spending 100 grand a month. I'm not. I'll freak me out. I, I, I just don't want to take that. But I'm quite happy to ship the stuff, and as long as the numbers stay sound, then it's all good. So you know, it's about either getting out your own way or realizing that when the stars align, yeah. Go for it. Well, that's often it. We, you know, we said often, you know, you'll scale by by spending as much as you possibly can until your your ROAS dips below a profitable point. And the businesses yeah. at scale, you you ultimately need to bring traffic to the site. Yeah, you know, I, I think I think a lot of businesses, you know, regardless of e-commerce, they scale to the to the to the the, the founder's ability to cope with things. And the, the, the founder's ability to cope with uh, with moving parts going on at once is is obviously a li- often a limiting factor. You you, you look at you know, look at different people. You know, someone running a small e-commerce uh, business to a large one. You often find the one running a large one is that they are just good at coping with a lot of things going on at once, and they've got there because they've they've trained their mind to be able to do that. And that's just who they are, isn't it? Well, it's been resilient, isn't it? There's a bit of resilience mm. in this. Yeah. And having, you know, having a focus, having a vision and being resilient and not letting little knockbacks get in the way because you've got that vision. But that this is it. That's overall stuff, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so you can get into overall, you know, what makes people successful in business. You know, what does that yeah. mean? You know, Big Ryan, feet. I would say. Big hands. Why? Well, <laughs> <laughs> Get your golden goose and put it in the car. Push down the accelerator and see if it goes backwards. That's what you should do. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for listening to us. There's 10 traits of an e-commerce manager, and you might not have any of them, but I imagine you'll still be successful, so don't listen to us. But those are the things we've noticed. So hopefully you found that useful, and uh, we'll speak to you again next week. So thank you very much. Thank you, Ian. Thanks, Mark. Bye. Cheers.